By Sacramento standards, Kings general manager Monty McNair is having a solid offseason. But what's the perception on the moves the Kings have made around the NBA? To help me answer that question, Sam Amick of The Athletic joins me right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen... It is that time, time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all off season long. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. And anytime, anytime we can get Sam Amick on the Locked on Kings podcast, it is a good time. Sam is incredible. Of course, he started and is based here in Sacramento with the Sacramento Bee a long time ago before going to the USA Today and, and the amazing career that he's carved out for himself. Uh, so he provides some of the best, if not the best, national coverage of the NBA that you will find. But of course, because of his ties to Sacramento and his roots in Sacramento, he also provides phenomenal Kings coverage. And once again, he's hit it out of the park this offseason. He and Anthony Slater teamed up on The Athletic to drop an article that I've referenced a lot over the last handful of episodes, which is a long, in-depth conversation with Kings GM Monty McNair. I encourage you to go and read that article. There's so much good stuff in there from Monty's comments on the offseason, the moves that they made versus the moves that they didn't make, and them keeping eyes on other potential opportunities out there. Talk about Sasha Vazenkov, Keegan Murray. Uh, there's so much good stuff in this article uh, that you need to go and read and, and experience. And Sam and I are going to reference a lot of it without talking about everything directly to where this interview is not going to spoil the article for you and is not going to make up for you not reading the article. So do yourself a favor, read the article, listen to the interview, and please enjoy this conversation with the Athletics' Sam Amick. I was telling Sam right before I hit record, thank you to him and Anthony Slater for helping us get through this uh, monotonous time of the offseason by dropping that great article on The Athletic. We've referenced it over the last couple of days here on Locked On Kings, but a conversation, in-depth conversation, with Kings General Manager Monty McNair. And Sam, one of the things I've enjoyed the most about Monty's growth development as a general manager here in Sacramento is not just how good he's he's gotten and, and he's been the guy to now bring the Sacramento Kings back to the playoffs. It's been fun to see him get more and more comfortable speaking with the media and doing press conferences and kind of opening up a little bit more and sharing and joking and let his personality come out to where now he's on social media putting out ask me anything except for basketball related questions to the Sacramento Kings fan base and talking about his interests elsewhere. Right. I'm curious your thoughts and just your viewpoints on Monty's development, even from his time in Houston to coming to Sacramento to now turning into this general manager who's been able to do what so many have not over almost two decades here in Sacramento. Yeah, no question. I mean, we always said, you know, the GM that was going to get the Kings back to the playoffs was going to hold kind of a special place in, in the history uh, for Kings fans. And I think Monty and his group have achieved that. Um, I like your observations, Matt, on Monty, because I do think I have a little bit of a unique vantage point as far as seeing his personality and his development behind the scenes, where when he was with the Rockets, I got to know him a fair amount. One of my favorite stories I ever did at USA Today was a, essentially an all-access piece 
with Mike D'Antoni, uh, and it was during the playoffs. And I was admittedly very flattered that Mike trusted me enough to do a piece where I sat in on coaches' meetings um, in the thick of the game planning. And through that experience, I got to learn about Monty's relationship with Mike, where he was essentially the liaison between the front office and the analytics staff uh, and Mike and the coaching staff and then vis-a-vis the players. And through that, I saw that, you know, Monty's communication skills, Monty's relatability, the type of things that eventually would serve him well, I think, as a GM, but that at that point were all behind the scenes. And then you fast forward to him getting the Kings GM job. And then when I would see him in these early press conferences that were, I think he would even admit, you know, somewhat stiff and guarded uh, on a regular basis. Um, You know, like you said, he has eventually come out of his shell a little bit more, figured out you know, how he can share some things publicly that don't harm the team or they're, you know, they're, they're kind of objective um, and, and find a way to paint the picture for the fans and the media uh, it, so that you understand the strategy, you understand the thinking. And to his credit in our piece, I thought it was, you know, I know that I'm, I'm biased here, but probably the, the best interview I've seen with him where he did paint that picture in the kind of way where, a lot of the reaction from Kings fans was like, wow, I, okay. Like I'm not used to him really telling me what he was thinking and they seem to enjoy it. And you still are getting that side of Monty that, that sometimes I wish he'd kind of leave, leave out, which is the very humble side. The the quote in your article talking about, Hey, I, I didn't know Keegan Murray was going to be this good. I thought he was going to be good, but I had no idea he's going to be uh, hitting that many threes as a rookie and breaking that record. I almost want Monty, same thing with Mike Brown, like puff out right. your chest a little bit. Look what you've done. Look what you've accomplished. General manager of the year. Mike Brown, unanimous coach of the year for the first time ever. It's like, hey, you can you can brag a little bit, sure. or heck, we we in Sacramento will do it for you, Matt. But, real quick on that point because I think you'll enjoy it. Um, the part that wasn't in the article during that exchange. Now, if you go back to the draft when they took Keegan Murray over Jaden Ivey, uh, I had done you know a round of interviews where I routinely, like a lot of people, but you know I routinely talked about how I did think it was it was a fit selection. Uh, it was it was not talent. Um, you know, being the preeminent factor, it was fit. And I, you know, over time certainly heard that, that, you know, Monty disagreed and, and Monty in his kind of delicate way, uh, you know, would kind of push back behind the scenes. But then when we did the interview, um, he went down that road. I could sense that vibe of like, you know, like look at us now a little bit. And I, I jumped in, I literally said like, Monty, it's okay. I, I'll just say it. Like I, I blew it. Okay. Like I got, I got it wrong. And I, we kind of laughed and, and, and that's what led to his quote where he he still took the humble road where he was like, no, I'm not going to toot my own horn. But, you know, I mean, he should. You're right. I mean, Keegan's been a fantastic pick and, and things are going well. So one of the things that's impressed me so much about Monty is how true he stayed to who he said he was as a general manager when he first took the job. And I've referenced this a million times on the podcast to the point where the, the audience is probably sick of hearing it. But I mean, when he, when we first had that introductory press conference, one of the things that stuck out to me was Monty talking about flexibility is important to him, how, how he wanted to maintain flexibility, wanted to always put the Kings in a position to make a move if it's the right move. And if it's there, but they are going to stay patient. He has stayed true to that in basically every move that he has made over his tenure here in Sacramento. And, and it's made him successful at, at least to this point, Sam, you've talked to more general managers and interacted with more general managers than I have. Is that common to have a general manager come in and say they're going to do things and how they're going to operate and stick to that consistently with how they work? Or is that a unique thing to Monty? 
Uh, I think it's honestly fairly common. I don't know that, you know, it's, it's a wise way to go to, to kind of, you know, create your, your, uh, your vision publicly one way and then act another way privately. Mm -hmm. Uh, That being said, it's funny with Monty, I feel like, and even the way I struggled to write it a little bit with Anthony is like, is he patient? Yes. Except that we cannot gloss over the fact that like, you know, the move that obviously put them in this position was an incredibly calculated big time risk. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The Sabonis Tyrese Halliburton trade that was rolling the dice uh, in from a number of different vantage points and it appears to have paid off. So it's that mixture of, of striking when it's worth the opportunity and the risk calculus is there uh, and then being patient for the rest of the time. Uh, but patience is, is not something that is very common in today's NBA. So I would say that I think he's more patient than a lot of executives. If you even look at recent history, you know, Tim Conley, ironically in Denver shows a great deal of patience with the Denver Nuggets core uh, is the former head of the Nuggets front office. Uh, the Nuggets core that he drafted that eventually goes on to win a championship, but a year prior to them winning the title, as you know, Matt, he goes to Minnesota to head up their front office and patience is not part of that program. They, mm-hmm. they make the trade for Rudy Gobert. Uh, they're really trying to accelerate the program in the kind of way that didn't work last season. We'll see how it looks this year, but their, their payroll and their bank sheet, you know, looks like a mess. Uh, the optionality that Monty values is not there. And there's a lot of examples of that. You see in Phoenix, of course, Matt Ishbia, the new owner is just out there kind of like a drunken sailor, just doing whatever he needs to do to, to win a title. And maybe it works. We'll see, but it's just big swing after big swing. That has not been Monty's way. And, and to the point you're making, you know, he has, for the most part, executed on, on kind of how he uh, sold himself publicly. Today's episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting the MLB and you can get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200 on FanDuel. That's right. Just 20 bucks you'll land $200 in bonus bets whether you win or you lose. It's either an insurance policy or an ability for you to go on a little bit of a winning streak after that first cash-in. That's $200 that you can spend on betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run of the game, all on an app that is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid Instantly, there's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. From the perspective that I've seen reading commentary from outside Sacramento about the offseason the Kings are having, I've seen terms like really sneaky good offseason, kind of under the radar, but solid. And one, I was going to ask, do you agree that this has been a really good offseason for Monty McNair? And then the other part of that is, is it a good offseason by the standards of the Sacramento Kings, right? Being able to retain talent in Sacramento versus the rest of the league? Or is it a good offseason in general in the NBA for having a team that has made it into the playoffs and now is trying to build into contention? I think it's hard to separate those two things because you are who you are within the context of the NBA and the Sacramento Kings in that context have been a laughing stock not that long ago. And I don't think that history should be forgotten. And I even told Monty and I think the tone, of the, <clears throat> excuse me, the tone of the piece indicated that I'm in the camp of, of having no problem at all reminding the fans to not forget where you were just five minutes ago, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that matters a great deal. And I'm, I'm a sucker for, 
analogies, Matt, and usually they they don't land. So hopefully this one does. <laughs> if you go to the dance and you're not like the the dude who gets all the ladies, you know, and and, and then somebody who's above your your pay grade, so to speak, is hanging out with you and you have a good thing going. And then there's a second dance a couple weeks later. Like you're trying to keep a good thing going. You know what I mean? And that's not been the history with these Kings. And, and you know, you got to slow play it a little bit and you got to be cautious. And, and they are paying attention to that core, believing in that core. And I love the idea that it is not sexy uh, and really doesn't move the needle to bet on progression, bet on, you know, evolution of the, the people involved. But that mentality does make a lot of sense to me. When you're talking Sabonis, you know, everybody but Harrison Barnes, like Monty said, being in their prime. Harrison's 31. We act like he's 37. That's one. That's as an aside. That's kind of how we act. Um, that group with Mike Brown and the second year as a coaching staff with Darren Fox, you know, making the leap he made last year, learning so much about being a leader and being a guy who can be that guy. I, I really do see, you know, Keegan Murray, even down to Davion Mitchell's guys like that. Kevin Herter, I think, going to be in a, a redemptive state of mind after the way his playoffs uh, ended. They were a little tough. All of which is to say, like, those internal things where, where part of the calculus was, well, if we go get Kyle Kuzma, how does that impact some of the guys who are here now and slow down their progress and slow down or, or alter the chemistry, alter the culture? Um, those are the decisions that were made. They obviously kicked the tires on almost everything that was out there. OG Ananobi is a guy they've been interested in for a long time. The Raptors have a very high price tag for OG, you know, Pascal Siakam, same thing, but you know, it's not sexy to say that we actually preserved the group and then added around the edges uh, in order to keep the progress going. And, and it's a very long-winded way of saying that, like, given the history, I think that's wise because the Kings of yesteryear would have just tried to take a jump and it might have fallen, you know, like a house of cards a couple of months down the road. I think your analogy that you used might hit home to uh, some people harder than you realize, Sam. <laughs> but I, I appreciate it regardless. <laughs> I've um, seen your Facebook pictures. You're doing fine. <laughs> I, I, I found mine and latched on, and I, I, I knew when I was punching above my weight class. But, um, Sam, I I'm, love everything you said there because particularly with Harrison Barnes, like I felt – what the decision about Harrison Barnes was going to be the foundation of what the entire Kings offseason was. And, and, and to my interactions with Sacramento Kings fandom, at least the vocal ones on, on social media, it was a pretty big split between bringing Harrison back as a good thing. And the Kings need to replace Harrison Barnes right now. And a lot of that was based off of how the playoffs went and the golden, uh, golden state warriors series went, but I think it was a lot easier for people to accept the move when they saw the price tag that was attached to Harrison versus the price that Jeremy Grant got and the price that Kyle Kuzma got. With these decisions, I mean, no one's going to bat their eye at Harrison Barnes like being a starter in the NBA. He's still very much that even if he's the only starter in Sacramento not in his prime or before his prime at this point in time. But to be able to secure a, a known starter, to get that starter to want to return to Sacramento when it felt like maybe 12 months ago or a little over that, he was wanting to be out of the door. He was wanting to leave and, and move on and, and do something else with his time. To get him to stay and to do that for the price point compared to what other guys that the Kings were interested in getting, I think that's almost a major two-part victory, isn't it? Yeah. No, I think so. And and I do understand, listen, I, I, you know, watching those playoffs, Harrison did not have a good finish at all. You know what I mean? And 
uh, and especially the optics of it coming against the Warriors and the backstory of him being the guy who essentially got kind of bumped out for Kevin Durant with Golden State, you know, and, and here's his chance to kind of get his revenge. And then he wasn't able to, to hit the big shots. Like, I get it. The, the season left a bad taste in a lot of fans' mouths. But you have to then take a step back and objectively look at the alternatives. Uh, unless you wanted them to go give a massive bag to Dylan Brooks like the Houston Rockets did, which maybe that works, but that's a culture changer. That's a, a chemistry changer without question. Um, Harrison was part of this kind of safe approach in certain parts of their offseason. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, though, about the money component. And I've said this a lot lately is that, and in fact, one of my colleagues at The Athletic, Mike Vorkanoff, wrote a good piece about this. We have to change the way we talk about contracts in the NBA uh, because the money is going up at such an absurd pace. We need to focus on percentage of salary cap for each individual contract because you're talking about the cap having doubled in you know the last seven years. That just changes the way the brain processes these numbers. So when you see uh, Harrison Barnes getting three for, was it 54? Yeah, something around that. Yeah. Uh, you know, then you go, oh, still at this stage, even the way he played in the playoffs, that's way too much. Well, guess what? His last contract with the Kings um, was 25% of the cap. This contract is 12%. To me, that's all you – like, it's not – this is a message to the fans. It's not your money. It's all Monopoly money. So you shouldn't actually care how much money is going into the player's bank account. All you should care about is how much money does your team have available based on the rules of the collective bargaining agreement – and what percentage of that available money was given to each player? Then fine. If you want to, you know, form your opinion about that player based on that, that makes a hell of a lot more sense than just in a vacuum saying that 54 million seems like you're rewarding a guy too much when he struggled in the playoffs. That's just not the right way to look at it. Um, Harrison is steady. Harrison is professional. Harrison is very well liked. And at times Harrison is very good and defensively where they struggle, um, you know, He's important as kind of the, uh, the the best among the worst, if that makes any sense. Um, and, and we'll see, you know, how he looks this year. But I, I understood the logic behind that move. I was talking some Kings fans off the ledge a little bit when it came back to when we went back to the, the trade deadline this past season and the Kings. The only move they made was the, the minor trade for Kessler Edwards. And fans were like teams they saw what the phoenix suns were doing they saw what other teams were doing gearing up for a playoff push and the kings had not been in that position and there was concern that the kings wouldn't be ready to handle that kind of push and and some fans felt that it was inevitable that they would fall out of that third seed contention spot of course they got were red hot right after the all-star break which none of us saw coming even the most optimistic of us saw that coming and and one of the things that we heard discussed and that i was discussing a little bit was the concern of potentially like hurting something that you a good thing that you have going like breaking up team chemistry and we saw kind of elements of that with the Iman Shumpert trade a handful of seasons ago and how the team kind of fell apart a little bit after after Shump was traded away do you think that is a big aspect or or, or played a big part in the decision making of Monty McNair not just at the trade deadline but this offseason too knowing how much of a locker room guy Harrison Barnes is knowing how well like Trey Lyles was and Trey wanted to be here to, to essentially run this team back knowing he's got a group that not only he feels can grow together, but a group that enjoys playing together and has only been together for less than a calendar year. Yeah, I do. And again, you know, I think that front office and the coaching staff, you know, with, with Monty, Wes Wilcox, assistant GM, um, and that, you know, that whole group 
they understand the value of vets. You know, Mike Brown in particular, I think, is the type of guy that, that I assume is in that room talking about how you need the vets around the youngsters. Now, you don't need to go full Golden State and try to do a two-timeline thing. We saw how that backfired for them. But uh, Harrison being there to talk to Keegan, like a lot of focus this summer on the time that Keegan spent with De'Aaron Fox. But but Harrison's got a voice with all these guys. And Harrison, you know, does have a championship ring um, and a lot of experience and a humility that comes with his personality that I think plays well in the locker room. So, yeah, I think that stuff matters. And again, you know, we didn't talk much about you've used the words optionality, flexibility, Matt, um, specifically next summer. One guy, two guys I'll, I'll spotlight real quick, actually, that don't get talked about a lot right now is Malik Monk mm-hmm. is going to be a free agent next summer. Um, when I was in Vegas at Summer League talking to the Kings, there was some pretty legitimate excitement over the fact that the way they conducted their business this summer put them in a really good spot to re-sign Malik next summer. Like yes. they really see Malik, like let's not forget the games he had in the playoffs, the times when the Warriors just couldn't do anything with him. Um, that's the type of impact player that while he might be sometimes inconsistent, they want him to be part of the program for the long term. He's another guy who's just going into his prime right now. And to your point about Harrison and culture and personal human stuff, it's that Malik friendship with De'Aaron Fox. Like, you know how much De'Aaron rocks with him and wants him to be part of this. So they are now well positioned to not lose Malik next summer. Uh, and then Kevin Herter, as an aside to me, is an interesting guy because nobody's talking about him right now. And everybody I do think is kind of forgotten how good he was for so much of last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and did he have a, a bad series against the Warriors? He did. You know, he just did. Couldn't hit shots. Uh, but But I still look at a guy like that, and I think I have a decent sense of kind of how – he sees the rest of his career going, how much confidence he has. You know, I don't think he's looking to fade into the background here because Keegan is ascending and because, you know, all these other things are happening. I think Kevin's going to be, you know, trying to fight to, to be a big part of this too. Thank you for bringing up Malik because I've thought that was a major benefit from the DeMontis Sabonis re-signing this offseason. But Speaking of that Sabonis re-signing, again, through the lens of it's the Sacramento Kings and the Sacramento Kings context, to get a player like that, an all-NBA caliber player, an all-star player, one of the best bigs in the league, to choose to renegotiate and stay with you in Sacramento instead of even testing the open market when he was in his full ability to do that next offseason and and see what other offers um, were out there for him from other teams – how significant is that or how much does that speak to the growth of the Kings and the change of the Kings culture and the change of maybe the Kings perception, not just in Sacramento, but around the league to get a guy like that to willingly say, yeah, you know what? One year, I loved it. I've seen enough. I want to be here. Let's get that deal done. I mean, it speaks to two things, uh, not to take anything away from the Kings and what they built, but to be, you know, to be real about it, it's pro sports, right? So you win, and people are happier. That's mm-hmm. just all there is to it. So whether it's the Kings or, or you know, or, or Ted Lasso's team, which name I'm forgetting, the, uh, you know. Richmond. Thank you, Richmond. Greyhounds. AFC Richmond. Like, whoever the hell it is, you win, people want to come. Uh, and you win, people want to stay. But with Sabonis, again, I, I'm, I'm the guy who keeps telling Kings fans, don't forget how bad it was not that long ago. With Sabonis, I would say don't forget, and this wasn't really out there a ton, but it was a little bit, Don't forget how going into last season, the conversation around Sabonis was an interesting one in terms of, all right, where's his head at? 
Um, he played 15 games in the prior year after the trade. They were five and 10. He didn't play a lot of them with the Aaron. His individual numbers were good, but it wasn't like anybody watched those 15 games with Sabonis and said, Oh man, this is a match made in heaven. Like this guy is going to be a, a foundational player for the Kings. So you go into this season and there's a little bit of uncertainty. They have a new coach. They go from Alvin Gentry to Mike Brown. And, you know, I had a long Q and a early in the regular season with Sabonis at that time, things were good, but talking about how with Mike Brown, you know, they had to get their visions aligned. Like they had some moments early on where I think Sabonis was used to playing one way. Mike envisioned him another way. Uh, Sabonis had to gain Mike's trust, all of which is to say that like there was this sense of like, man, if this doesn't go the right way, I think Sabonis might be having one foot out the door. And you know, and that was where I felt. And that's why the idea of them locking them up and securing that extension, I think is huge because um, you did it with winning and you did it with, you know, the stuff internally where you get the visions aligned and he feels like you're maximizing his talents. He had a wonderful year. And Sabonis, even if you go back to his time in Indiana, uh, and I wasn't close to him at all back then, but everything you would hear is that he he's very big, like most players, on just wanting to feel like the program that he's in understands where he's at his best and like he has something to offer, but if you don't handle them the right way, you're not going to get to see that. Um, and in Indiana, you know, Indiana, even though they had their issues, he was making all-star teams, he was making money and he was reasonably happy, you know, until maybe the later stages and, and here, you know, he saw how it was going and what he liked and, and they got it done. I think it's a, it's a big deal for this franchise. I'll sneak in two more quick ones, Sam. You spent a good portion of this article talking about Sasha Vazenkov. Earlier on in the conversation, you mentioned uh, the upgrades that the Kings have made or changes that the Kings have made kind of around the edges of the core that was already here. I get the sense that from hearing Monty talk and uh, that, that Monty in this Kings front office believes that Vezenkov is could be more than just an on the edges move, but right away uh, there are, there are obvious fits in Sacramento, and and there is a a significant excitement to bring in a player that maybe from the USA NBA perspective it only took a a second round pick on draft night uh, to acquire. What are the from this conversation with Monty and any other conversations that you've had? Like, what do you what, what are the vibes you're getting or the the feeling that you're getting on how much the Kings are putting into Vezinkov to be a significant part of a contending team throughout his tenure here in, in the NBA. I mean, I'm just going to echo what they had to say and we'll see what happens, right? Like the, but, but you know, the, the way they are framing it, Matt, is that this is a, a fairly big time impact player. Um, now you look at the contract and you go, wow, like if that's true, you know, three years for 20 million with a team option on the third year, like that's about as team friendly a contract as you can have mm. for an impact player. But go back to last summer, they do the trade with Cleveland to get his rights. You know, they give up their, I think, 48th pick, 47th pick that actually became Isaiah Mobley, Evan's brother. Mm. Um, they get $1.75 million cash in the deal. So, you know, even factor that in the $20 million contract, you know, the top of it got paid by the Cavs uh, unofficially. Um, then, you have Vasenkov progressing in his game. He's 27 now. Uh, he was a very good player back then. He was already, you know, um, I think first team all Greek league. I'm not, I'm forgetting on that front, but a decorated player, but he makes a jump this year. And now he's Euroleague MVP. 
you know, one point away from winning the yearly title. Um, and, you know, and he's a guy who is going to fit in, I think, very well with what they do. He's a slasher. He's a cutter. He's a shooter. You've pr- I'm sure you've seen the videos where it's almost a little bit Clay Thompson-esque with, you know, his ability to score the ball without dribbling. You know, mm-hmm. kind of these absurd numbers about, you know, if Zankoff scored 200 points on three dribbles or whatever it might be. Like, he's a talented guy, and, and he's a, a guy who – in the same vein, and we kind of alluded to this in the story, the same vein as, um, you know, Sergio Yul from Spain, a Real Madrid legend who for years the Houston Rockets had his rights and Houston saw Sergio as the kind of guy who might be able to solve their point guard void at the time. And the Rockets made multiple offers to Sergio, but he had such a good thing going in Europe and had such a good career and really just was happy and making good money that he ultimately never made the jump. In fact, Bleacher Report wrote a piece years ago, and it was the headline was The Man Who Said No to the NBA. There was a sense that Sasha might also be that guy. Um, and even when they lost the title game to Real Madrid, ironically playing against Sergio Yul, there was an idea that, all right, Sasha had a great game. I think he had 29 points, filled up the box score. And I looked at it the other day, you know, he missed a three with 57 seconds left that would have put uh, uh, Olympiacos up four. You know, conceivably they win the game. And there was even with the Kings an idea that, oh, boy, the, the heartbreaking way that they lost that game, is there any way that Sasha is is going to go back, that this mm-hmm. is just not how I wanted that chapter to end? He obviously makes the decision to come. And you saw in his Instagram post, you know, like the tone of his messaging, this was not just – an international player saying, Oh my God, thank you. The NBA is willing to accept me. I'm so excited. No, this was an international player saying, okay, I have chosen at the risk of, you know, pulling a LeBron James quote here, like <laughs> to take my talents to the NBA. That's, you know, he is the asset. He is the commodity. And I think he knows that. Um, and that's how they see him. And, and I think that, uh, you know, they're very excited about what he's going to bring. Finally, Sam, I don't know how familiar you are with my love of Keegan Murray. Sometimes it's borderline unhealthy, um, but I am a, a big Keegan Murray believer. So to read Monty's comments on Keegan developing this season into that second or third scoring option, how difficult that is and how talented the starting five the Kings have, but that's what they believe is the next step for Keegan. That's that's what I've been looking at and hoping for. And then we get this glimpse of after Keegan says he's been working with Fox all offseason we get this glimpse of two California classic games where he drops 29 points and 41 points. And everyone, and now it's like, yep, absolutely. He can do the job. It's over. He's an all-star. He's in the hall of fame. Like it's two games. We've seen enough, but Monty makes sure to kind of pump the brakes a little bit and say, Hey, like it's, it's still going to take time. He's in this just a sophomore season. So we're not expecting too much, but that's the next step. And that's the next evolution of his game. Do you think that's where the Kings are putting so to speak, the majority of the eggs in their basket of this core growing together, a lot of it is simply with Keegan Murray taking that jump, maybe not next season, but eventually into a potential all-star and second or third option offensively uh, for this team. Yeah, I do, uh, but I'm curious to see how it goes. There's a lot of hype around Keegan this summer, and not to be that, you know, like you said, the hype train guy that slows it down a bit, like Monty kind of tried to, Summer League is still Summer League. 29 and 41 were fantastic. Um, but I'm curious to see how that integration goes, meaning like they, they're talking openly about the idea that on the offensive pecking order, he is 
he's higher on the list now than he was before. Um, you know, Kevin Herter DHOs were a dangerous thing with Sabonis all season long. Um, I would be reticent to take too many of those out of the playbook. Uh, Malik Monk, similarly, uh, you're going to have to be, I think, delicate with how you find ways for Keegan to flex offensively more than he did last season. And don't try, in my opinion, to reinvent the wheel when it comes to like you got to those 206 threes one way. So don't, you know, don't stray too far from that. You can add to it, but they had such a good offense overall that I think there's probably a balance between trying to have the 2.0 version of it with Keegan being a bigger part, but being very careful to, to not forget that you literally had, you know, statistically the best regular season offense in NBA history last year. Um, even with, you know, like the excitement about Keegan is understandable, uh, but the collective is obviously what matters more than anything. So I think, you know, they're going to have to be a little soft with it or they should be because if they just start force feeding Keegan and saying, let's just have another guy that we can put on the banner next to Sabonis and Fox and, and just sell tickets with. And I'm not saying that's what they're doing, but if you lean too far that way, mm-hmm. you might kind of alter things with the collective. So that to me, that's the part I'm really curious to watch. Well, Sam, thank you for slowing down the hype train sometimes because on this show, I'm shoveling coal most of the time into the furnace to keep it going faster. Well, here, I'll do it even a little bit more, Matt. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no. Like the defensive side of the ball, we don't talk about. They picked up Mm -hmm. Nerlens Noel. I don't know how many minutes he's going to get. This was a bad defensive team last year. And Mm so, you you know, when we talked off air, you kind of were asking briefly about perceptions around the NBA and, and the skepticism coming from other places around the NBA about this team is that they have not fixed the defensive woes. And, mm. you know, you've got to be a pretty explosive offense uh, every single time out to counterbalance the defense based on what it was last year. And so does Mike Brown's system sink in a little bit more? Do they find other ways to uh, to be a better defensive team? They're going to have to uh, because, you know, that side of the ball matters a lot. I know for me, the hope of addressing that issue is simply Mike having more time with them in a training camp where they've been together to maybe add a little bit more on top of the foundation that they built last year. But we'll have to wait and see. Sam, you do such a phenomenal job covering not just the Sacramento Kings, all of the NBA. Uh, anytime that you and, and, and Slater and anybody drops any kind of Kings uh, inputs or knowledge or anything uh, on The Athletic is an absolute must read, as is the, the majority, if not all of your content. So thank you for taking the time here to, uh, to come on Locked On Kings. Enjoy the rest of your off season as best as you can. And we'll, uh, we'll see you when things start picking up again in the fall. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you, man. Good seeing you. Huge thank you again to Sam for joining me here during this offseason, fresh off or rather fresh before leaving on a well-deserved vacation. So he squeezed it in, and I really appreciate him for doing that. I uh, took advantage of every second that I could, uh, and uh, I, I hope uh, I, I hope that you appreciate that. I hope that you enjoyed that certainly as much as I did. Uh, so thank you very much to Sam. Look forward to doing it again uh, in the hopefully near future, but at some point in the future, of course, um, he's going to be – as he always is around King's training camp around um, the, uh, uh, the the Kings throughout the entire regular season, in addition to all the great coverage that he provides just around the NBA in general. Uh, so keep an eye out for his work. If you don't already, thank you so much for supporting uh, this episode of the locked on Kings podcast. If you want to uh, help out this podcast even more, you can do so by leaving a review, especially audio listeners. If you can go to Apple podcasts, Uh, There's a place for you to leave a review there. Hit five stars. There's a a little area for you to leave uh, like a custom review or or your own thoughts, your own comments, um, any 
thing you can put in there to encourage others to listen to the podcast or even constructive criticism that you have for the podcast. Some people do that. Don't give a five-star rating, maybe a three or a four, and leave what they want to, uh, to see or how they think the podcast can improve. We read that. We take that into account. It's fair game. Uh, we would appreciate, of course, a five-star rating, but whatever you, uh, you think this podcast is uh, is worthy of, leave that. Um, and uh, I, I I really appreciate that. And, of course, YouTube watchers, if you could subscribe. We're on our uh, mission to get to 10,000 subscribers before the end of next season. We're over the 7,000 mark, which is pretty incredible. Uh, so thank you to all of you who have already subscribed. But if you can subscribe, that would be great. Turn on the notification bell to be notified every single time a, a podcast drops on YouTube. And then, of course, just share the podcast with friends, fellow Kings fans, even non-Kings fans. Uh, I, I really would appreciate, as always. Thank you again for your support. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sam Amick, and I hope to see you back with me on the next episode of Locked on Kings. Until then, my name is Matt George. You have been listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.